In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. This is the fifth Sunday after Pentecost, and we are uh, now at the very end of chapter 10 of St. Matthew's Gospel, the end of Jesus preparing his apostles to go out on this missionary journey. He is sending them out as a part of his process of salvation, as a part of his um, saving and remaking the world. And when we talk about the Lord remaking, recreating the world, a word that's often used for this is apocalypse. Apocalypse is a word that means revealing God's plan. Uh, revealing or a revelation of God's plan. And what we see in scripture is that the plan is not destruction of the world and then we go someplace else. The plan is a radical recreation of the world that when we look at the details of it seem very destructive, um, seem very scary and foreboding. But it's about the Lord remaking and recreating the world and those who dwell in it. Perhaps a a good example of this um, apocalyptic theme as we think about the Lord recreating the world is found in Isaiah. And when we look here at Isaiah chapter 2, we see um, the Lord saying in a way that we see all throughout Scripture, this idea of apocalypse, of remaking, which is high things being brought low and low things being raised up. And so the Lord uses examples of this, um, talking about the haughty looks or the lofty pride or the exalted things of the world. And he says they're going to be brought down. And he talks about the natural order. He talks about the natural creation. And he talks about mankind. So he talks about the cedars of Lebanon, the oaks of Bashan, the lofty mountains, the lifted up hills. Then he talks about the things that are created by man. He talks about um, things that we have done. He talks about the high tower and the fortified wall and the tall ships of Tarshish, the beautiful craft that show the haughtiness of men. The only thing unfortunate about this reading for us is uh, that we have trouble relating to fortified walls, high towers, and big ships. We think of nations and empires and skyscrapers and let's just say right from the start it includes all of that there is no nation or empire that is going to last for forever the greatest christian kingdom that ever lasted lasted a thousand years it ended in 1453 that's the eastern empire of rome that was uh, begun by constantine in about 315 and it lasted a thousand years that's a really good run Uh, But it is uh, nothing but a museum piece uh, now for us. There is no nation, there is no structure, there is nothing created by mankind that will survive the recreation of the Lord. Even his own creation will not survive as it is. The mountains will be brought low and the valleys will be lifted up. The Lord's plan is to recreate, to restore so that he is exalted in all things. This is a reordering so that God is uh, in his rightful place and so that we are able to rightfully be in relationship to God. And this is where health is found. This is where our true nature, this is where our true joy is found, is in acknowledging ourselves before a high and exalted God. When we get that right, when we understand who God is and that we're not him, and that our job is to worship Him and to exalt Him and lift Him up, then we are 
started on that right path of being in relationship to God and then the rest of our life slowly starts to take shape and form and our priorities are able to finally be put right. And this is what Jesus is teaching the apostles as he prepares them to be sent out. He says, um, be ready for things to be put right. This is part of what he's preaching to them and part of what he's preparing for them to do. And oftentimes we, we get confused and it seems um, very clear that the disciples were thinking that Jesus was going to be some kind of a political leader. That he was starting some kind of a political party or he was starting some kind of a, of a government. And they were asking, right, when are you going to restore Jerusalem? When are you going to restore Judea? When are you going to kick the Romans out? And when are we going to have our rightful place as a sovereign kingdom? And so he's answering those questions here as he's preparing them to go out to say, you don't understand at all what it is that I am doing, how it is that I am recreating and restoring the world. He says, I haven't come to bring peace but a sword. And that statement should shock us because uh, from the beginning, from the time of Jesus' birth, he has been heralded as what? The Prince of Peace, right? We've been told this is the Prince of Peace, the one who's coming to bring peace to the world. And then here he says, he hasn't come to bring peace but a sword. And he's purposefully shocking us in this. The peace that we find is true peace in Christ that comes with Him being exalted and us being unified with Him. But this simple or common peace that the world talks about is a kind of um, uh, you know aiding and abetting. It's a, a compromise, right? It's a it's a you know a, a coming into agreement, right? You don't do this to me, I won't do this to you, or I'll give a little bit to you and you give a little bit to me. And this is the kind of peace that Jesus is saying He has no part of. A kind of peace that's agreement or contract with our neighbor. He's not going to have that kind of peace. He's going to turn upside down all of our relationships, our relationships to our family, our relationships to our um, our ethnic group, to our tribe, to our government, all that is going to be turned upside down and the very basis of our, 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 our people groups, of our um, family groups are going to be remade in Him. So he says, he starts at the very beginning because when we look at who it is that we have loyalty to, who it is that we have faithfulness or obedience to, when we um, establish this kind of uh, peaceful relationship with one another, he starts at the very most intimate, powerful building block of society, right? And it's not nation, it's not empire, it's not state or tribe, it's the family relationship, right? This is the most solid, this is the building block of all of society, is the family, right? Husband and wife and child, and this is immediately where Jesus goes, and he says, even that relationship will not have peace unless it is found in me. He says that those um, with whom you are the most intimate, if they are not intimate with me, you will be at odds with me. And we don't need to look very far in our own personal lives if we've committed to Christ and we've begun that process of radical change of being obedient to Him and lifting Him up, then it does challenge all of our most intimate relationships. Our parents can be challenged and our, our siblings can be challenged and our, our greater um, you know, ethnic group and our, our, our cities and our work relationships. All those relationships are challenged when we put Christ first because it changes who we are and how we think and what it is that we do. And then Jesus says um, that we have to go even to our relationship with ourselves. So now past 
those other relationships, how it is that we're related to ourselves. And he says, you have to take up your own cross. What is he saying here? He's saying that even when you come down to the very basic priority um, that, that people think so solidly about, that is putting themselves first, has to be upended so that Christ is above self. And of course, this is what we say in the law. This is the summary of the law that we give every Sunday, right? Uh, first, we love God, and then we love our neighbor, right? We love our neighbor as ourself. That is in place of ourselves, right? When we say in the Lord's Prayer that we will forgive others as we are forgiven, right? Um, we are saying that we are um, putting them first. So we're not saying we're going to love God the same way that we love ourselves, but we're saying in place of ourselves. And when we do that, when we seek God's will first thing in the morning, when we seek God's will in our daily living, when we seek God's will for our neighbor, then we are in effect crucifying ourselves and our own will. We are putting it under subjection of God's will, and we are being willing to exalt Him. And then he says that all of our subsequent relationships, then once that happens, when we are in relationship with somebody because of who Jesus is, then we receive all of those benefits. We receive all of those benefits of following him, even by serving somebody else who's following him. So when we serve a prophet, when we serve a disciple, when we serve one who is serving Christ, we come into fellowship with him and we receive all of those benefits of being in his service. But this isn't a quick and easy thing, right? This isn't about looking to see do they have a bumper sticker on their car, right? It's not do you have a button saying that you're a Christian, right? It's looking to see how is somebody living their life? Are they submitting their will to the will of the Father? And when we begin to perceive that, when we begin to see what that looks like, and we um, put ourselves in, in obedience and faithfulness in a, in a loyalty relationship with those who are serving God, um, then our whole world begins to change and transform. And this is the change that St. Paul is talking about in his letter to the Romans. He's saying that we come into um, a radical change when we die to sin. He begins this um, passage here in Romans chapter 6 uh, because he's had this long um, passage about grace and about the benefits of grace and he kind of anticipates somebody saying, well, if sin makes grace abound, shouldn't we sin all the more? And Paul says, um, don't misunderstand me, right? That's a confused way of thinking. We're dead to sin. And this is part of that um, taking up our cross uh, understanding. When we die to ourselves, when we die to sin. There are two different ways that we can think about sin. Um, the first is one that we always want to work on, that we always want to try to um, remove from our lives, and that is we're trying to do the right thing and we fail. And this is um, you know, going to be part of our, our brokenness, right? That no matter how hard we try, um, our efforts are not going to be good enough, maybe our information isn't going to be good enough, and we're going to fail, even trying to do the right thing. But the other kind of sin is this sin where we're putting ourselves first and we're saying, stop everything, let me think about me first. Let me put myself first. The Lord may have some ideas, but let me try mine first. Let me see if I can figure this out first. Sure, I'll turn to the Lord if things get really rough, but I've got some pretty good ideas. Let me give those a try. And that's the kind of sin that St. Paul is saying that we need to die to. He's saying we die to that in baptism. How, how do we die to that in baptism? 
there, there's the, the sacramental mystery of it. There's the, the grace that comes from us. And, 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 and St. Paul is, is clearly talking about that because he talks about dying in baptism, which is that descending under the waters, right? We can't live under the water of baptism, right? And this is that, that descent that we see um, Jesus in the incarnation going into the womb of the Virgin. We see him descending under the waters of baptism. We see him um, descending into the tomb, right? And all these are deaths that Jesus um, enters into and that we are invited to enter into. And so there is that, that miraculous um, mystery of grace that comes from dying with him. We die to ourselves. We die to putting ourselves first. And then we are risen again with him. We are resurrected with him. When we are focused upon his resurrection, when that is our goal, when that is our hope, and when we understand that these new lives that we have are entirely dedicated to him. He says that when we are united with him, we will have a resurrection like his. And then this very beautiful line, we will also live with him. This is the most important thing, isn't it? Here in Romans chapter 6, verse 8, he says we will live with him. And this is the point and purpose of all of salvation history and all of creation history. This is what the Lord is doing in Genesis. He is building a, a, a garden. He's building an Eden. He's building a home in which for us to dwell. His, his whole goal is to live with us. And, and this is the whole goal of baptism. To, to let us die to ourselves. To die to sin and to rise to Him, to live with Him, to have His thoughts, His mind, His will, His hope. And He says again that those who have died to sin once for all live to God. And He says it a third time. You yourselves are dead to sin and alive to God. We are alive to God. And maybe the only way for this to really happen is to have a personal apocalypse. We talk about this universal apocalypse, but there's a personal one too, where we're brought low and then raised up in Him. And maybe the only way that that can happen is to allow the Lord to reveal Himself to us and His love. Because when we experience the love of God, we begin to understand that it's a love so great and so powerful, there's nothing that we can do to earn it. There's no way that we can buy it. There's no place for us to go. There's no store. There's no nowhere that we need to go in search of it. It's not about going uh, someplace else. We can't find it on a trip. We can't find it in another workplace. We can't find it in a vocation or a vacation. It's only found in coming into relationship with God and allowing Him wherever we are in our cars, our homes, our beds or here in this place to allow His love to be revealed to us. And when we experience that love and we experience how low we are and how great He is and that there's nothing that we can do to earn it or to seek it then we have been made low and we will be raised with Him in eternal life. May each of us be brought low and raised with Him that we may dwell with Christ forevermore. Amen.